Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. It's always, always a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord. I want to thank you for participating with us today on YouTube, on Facebook, in your families, in your homes, as we continue to fellowship together. You know, we serve an awesome God. We serve a great God, and our Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is more powerful than all the problems going on in the world today. You've read, you've heard this morning, you've read the news, you've watched TV, and we know that right now we have riots taking place in 22 cities. There have been 1,700 people arrested just in the last three days. Uh, we've had over 100,000 people die in the United States alone from COVID-19. It's a worldwide pad- pandemic. It's a big, big problem, and there is no way we as people on our own can take care of it. But our God is a great God. He's much bigger. In John 6, 29, we're going to, we see that the work of God is to be believed in the one who he has sent. We're, we're now, in the next three weeks, we're going through the book of John chapter 6, and Today, we're be, as Greg has read, we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses where Christ fed the 5,000 people. How's that work? We're having a little, I'm having to learn the technicalities there. Got it. Nope, went too far. Thank you. We read in John 1, 3, that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The feeding of the 5,000 is a huge miracle. In fact, the feeding of the 5,000 is, is only one of two miracles that are listed in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have a lot of parallel stories. They have a lot of individual stories not carried in other stories, in other Gospels. But the only two miracles that are listed in all four Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus Christ where he raised himself from the dead like no one else ever has, and the feeding of the 5,000. Why is the feeding of the 5,000 so significant that it be listed in all four Gospels? First off, the feeding of the 5,000, sometimes we don't realize how large 5,000 people are. It's not just 5,000. We read from the Scripture that it was the number of men plus women and children. The number of men represented family groups in... And so the four Gospels, talking about the 5,000, talked about about twenty to 25,000 people. So if each man has his wife, has one, two, three, or four kids with him, there's probably between twenty to 25,000 people there. Now, if you've, if you've ever been to King's Stadium in Sacramento, that King's Stadium will seat about 17,600 people. Christ fed twenty to 25,000 people. So Christ actually fed more people than can fit into King's Stadium. So I guess there's more people wanting to go see the King of Kings than going to see the Sacramento Kings. As we go further, I'd like to share an experience that my wife and I had a number of years ago. Many of you know that my wife, Chris, and I have uh, have our son, Joshua, attends this church. We actually have two sons. One is older, and he's teaching English in South Korea. And the first time we went to see him, we went to the Yoida Full Gospel Church, 
I wanted to go there because I've always heard about it. It's a, it was called, considered the, the largest church in the world. They have multiple services. And when we got there, they took us up to the foreigner section. We had to take an elevator up, and we sat in a balcony. We had headphones put on because the, the preacher was preaching Korean, and we got to hear the translation in English. We could dial which language we wanted, German, French, whatever. We could choose a language. And that sanctuary seats 16,000 people. That is a mega church. The, one of the biggest mega churches in the world, 16,000 people. Christ fed more people when he fed the 5,000, 20 to 25,000 people, more people than could fit into that Yoido church in one service. Now, if I came home and said, hey, honey, we're going to have some guests come over for dinner. Uh, we're going to have about 20,000 people come over. Would you please fix dinner for us? I don't think she would be quite ready for that yet. So, I'm not gonna, honey, I'm not going to do that to you. So we see that the amount of people to feed was around twenty to 25,000. As many of you know, I was a prison chaplain for 21 years at Calipatria State Prison down in Southern California. The prison houses 4,000 inmates. And that's just 4,000. I visited Korea a few years ago, and, I, and a lot of people, when they go to Korea, not Korea, when I, went, when I visited Israel, a lot of people, when they go to Israel, they go see the old city, they go see Masada, place like that. I went and visited a prison. Had fun. Sat down, talked to the rabbis there. We, we compared prisons, and, and I told them about the prisons we have here are about 4,000 inmates. They, their eyes just kind of went way open, like, wow, that's big. Well, I guess we have, not only do we have mega churches, we have mega prisons in California. And so Calipatria had 4,000 inmates. And it's a, it's a standard, typical prison. We have a lot of prisons like it. Same, same design. And to feed 4,000 inmates, we had what we call a central kitchen with a large staff of, of free staff and inmates working to prepare food. And they load the food into trucks and they drive out to the facility, the yards, the prisons within a prison, and to, in order to feed the 4,000 inmates. Now, to feed 20,000 inmates, you have to have five prisons, and you have to have five central kitchens. That's a lot of food. And the disciples were there that day, looking at the huge, huge crowd. And they're saying, Jesus, they're hungry. And Christ says, give them something to eat. And so you can imagine, they're like, okay, you know. So let's go through the scriptures here. First off, I'd like to mention that the feeding of the 5,000 was a creative miracle. It's creative because Christ made food out of nothing. You know, five loaves, two fishes. But the fishes he gave out never swam in an ocean, never swam in the sea. The bread he gave out was created because it was created. The grain for that bread never grew in the field. It was a creative miracle. Now, there's also restorative miracles of restoring sight to the blind. Man's blind, Christ heals him. I can see, praise God, I can see. There's transformative miracles, turning water into wine. When I was in college, I had a factory job. And I was a gung-ho Christian, always going out, witnessing everybody. I had my four spiritual law booklets. And... This one guy who I worked with was an agnostic. He didn't really care about it. He just liked party. And I was trying to, to convince him to become a Christian. He says, 
I want you to prove to me that God is real. I'd like to see Christ turn water into wine. He wasn't interested in Christ. He's interested in the wine. So, but this was a creative miracle. Christ created something out of nothing. After all, Christ created the universe. When we look at the universe, our solar system here, our galaxy, we see the other galaxies out there, and we know that in um, John chapter 1, verse 3, it says that Christ created everything. There was nothing made that he did not make. And so we, when we look at Christ and realize he's the creator of the world, he created everything. And so for him to create enough food to feed 20,000 people, it's nothing. What is to us a miracle is business as usual for Christ. So we're dealing with a God who can create anything out of, anything out of nothing. But also, this is... Not, this miracle was a participant miracle. If someone's blind, if I have a, if there's a man who's here blind, Christ comes up and heals him. You're watching. This guy says, I can see, I can see. He's excited. Well, he got to receive the blessing of sight. You're watching. You're a participant. He would have been receiving that sight whether or not you were there or not. So you are a spectator. And if, but this was a participation miracle. Everybody there got to participate in the miracle. Praise God. So, as we look at verse 1, it, said, it starts off sometime after this. Well, it starts off after what? Well, in John chapter 5, we go back about five, six months. It talks about Christ being down in Jerusalem. Uh, during the time there was a feast going on in Jerusalem. It doesn't say which feast. I assume it's a feast of tabernacles. It takes place during the Jewish high holy days in around October. And Christ healed a man who was lame, who was by the pool, the sheep pool, by the sheep gate. And, and so the disciples are watching. Remember, disciples are students of Christ. They're his students. And so they're watching they see Christ heal, and they listen to Christ teach. When we look at um, the other Gospels, in, John, in Matthew 14, Mark 6, we see the story of what happened before the feeding of the 5,000. John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod, the, uh, Herod Antipas in Tiberias. And in Luke chapter 9, the disciples have been sent out to preach and to teach and to heal. And so the disciples who, who are students are watching Jesus teach, and they take what they learn from him, they go teach, and Christ also sent them out to heal. And so they know about the power of God. They're, they're proclaiming Christ to the world. So anyway, that's what's happening. So it, we see, it says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's the Sea of Tiberias. It's also called Gennesaret. And we have here a map of the Sea of Galilee. Off to your left is Tiberias. It was a new city at the time. Herod had started the city around 20 AD. And he named it Tiberius, who was Caesar of Rome. And, and I've been in Tiberias. It's a beautiful city. But that's where Herod was. That's probably where John the Baptist got beheaded. Up on top is Capernaum. Been there. 
beautiful place, right on the shore of Sea of Galilee. And then we go over to Bethsaida, and that's where Christ took his disciples. Now, there's another story in a couple of the Gospels that Christ fed 4,000. Well, sometimes you think, well, talk about 5,000 or the 4,000. Which was it? Five or 4,000? It was both. Because Christ was with the Jews up in Bethsaida. He also went down to Decapolis, which is a Gentile area, and he fed 4,000 people down there, plus women and children. So still a lot of people. And then later on, we see where Christ references both of the 5,000 and the 4,000 because the disciples are hungry. And they said, we didn't bring you food. He said, don't you remember the 5,000 and the 4,000? And you're, you're here with me and you're worried about the food? And so we see that Christ repeated this miracle. He can do it one place, he can do it someplace else. And we, and we know that we see God work in someone else's life, he can work in our life as well. And so we, as we read here, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And verse 2, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the sign he had performed by healing the sick. Now, if you get a boat and roll across, it's about eight miles across the Sea of Galilee. And so the fact that Jesus went by boat, he could go by land too. And so when the people saw, and they're seeing Jesus healing, they're hearing him teach, they're seeing him healing people, and he's becoming real, real popular. Whenever people always become popular when they can do wonderful things. People always go to those who can do something for them. And and so the word was getting around. Here's Jesus. He's healing like he's healing people, and so more people want to come because everybody needs to be healed. I mean, how many of us have to go to the doctor? Because we need something. We, we're on medication. We have some high blood pressure. I'm talking about myself. We we have some other problems, and there's always something coming up. Everybody needs some healing, and here was a man who healed. And so they see Jesus and his disciples take off in a boat. And they're falling along. The disciples didn't know it. But I'm sure Christ knew because he knows everything. So they get over there. And, and so they followed him. And they get to... Um, they get across. I'm seeing my notes here. I'm, okay, yeah. That, um, they get across... And Christ knows this, this verse here, John 6, 26, is referencing further down. Because Christ knows they're coming, not because of his teaching, but because they were healing. They're wanting something from him. And so every leader has followers. The thing I've found working in the prison system is whenever you have someone who claims to be a leader, he always has followers. Whether it be staff, whether it be inmates, whoever. And people are always going to follow People are followers. And Christ saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. And so he had compassion on them. But we need to be careful who are we going to follow and why are we following them. So Christ gets over there and the great crowd of people followed him because he saw the signs he had performed in the healing of the sick. Now that's kind of giving a lead up to what's happening next because they were following him but they were not there yet. And then Jesus went up on the mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. They got there to rest. Nice open place. Out there in the middle of nowhere. A lot of nice grass. And then the passage says something very interesting. It says, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Why is this important? Well, the Passover 
is the most significant holiday in the Jewish faith. Because the Passover is where the Jews look back when they were in Egypt. And they, they flee the Egyptian and God, through the work of Moses, takes them across the Red Sea, takes them into the wilderness, gives them manna, bread, and from heaven, quail, gives them protein, and he delivers them. And, of course, Passover also is where, before they leave, the lamb was sacrificed, and the blood of the lamb was put over the doorpost. And wherever the blood of the lamb was, the angel of death would pass over. And so Christ became our sacrificial lamb. By his blood, the angel of death passes over. We can have eternal life. And today, Passover is the longest uh, celebration through all of human history. It's been going on for 3,300 years. At that time, it's been going on for about 1,300 years. Every single year, Passover is celebrated. And, but look at the comparison here. Because Moses was in the wilderness with the people. They get across the sea, uh, the Dead Sea, and, or the, you know, across the sea. And the people are saying to Moses, you bring us out here where there's no food in the wilderness to watch us die. And people were upset, and God, Moses goes to God, and God sends the manna from heaven, sends the quail. And so God feeds the masses out of nothing. Here we now have in Bethsaida our sacrificed lamb, Jesus Christ, before he sacrificed, but he, our sacrificial lamb with a group of people out in the wilderness providing bread and fish, which is a protein. In, in chapter, verse 5, then Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him. He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Well, in the other parallel gospels, we see that Christ is there teaching healing all day. It's getting late, and the disciples came to him and said, Send the people away, because they're going to need to go home and eat. And here we see, as we put the story together, Jesus is saying, where should we buy bread for these people to eat? Why do you ask Philip? Well, Philip was from that area. When our church sent a team down to Mexicali last year, and there's a lot of places to eat down in Mexicali, but we asked Pastor Sanchez, where's a good place to eat? And he took us to a wonderful restaurant, because, and we had a great time of fellowship there. It was a, it was a really, that's where we always like to go. He's a local. He, he knows the area. And we don't just go find any old place that any tourist would find. We went to a place uh, the local person knows. And so Jesus is asking, and Philip is saying, where should we go and buy food? And he looks at Jesus going, what? He didn't really say that in the gospel. I'm reading between the lines. And, and he's saying, there's, we don't have enough money. And there's no place to buy the food. And if we could buy the food, we would, we, it, would take us, it would take over half a year's wages to buy just a little bit, just to give them a little bit of food. And they're still going to be hungry. Now, Philip is analytical. I'm sure during the church board meetings, someone comes up with an idea, and the church ranger is going to say, yeah, but it's going to cost us much money. 
And there's always, in a marriage relationship, you often have one person's more analytical than the other. I may come up with something, I may suggest something to my wife, she says, well, how much is that going to cost? Because there's always a cost element. And sometimes when we ask people questions, their minds start calculating numbers. And so here, apparently, Philip was the analytical person. And he goes, nah, you know, how, okay, we've got about, we about 20,000 people here. 20,004, just whatever. And, and he goes, it's going to be, uh, no, we can't do it. It's not possible. And so Andrew pops up, and he says, well, we have a boy here. He has five loaves and two fishes. So apparently Andrew's the usher type. He's out there rounding up people. Hey, get them, let's, let's, let's do this, let's do that, and always trying to get something. And apparently these people didn't come very well planned. They didn't prepare. They saw Jesus. They just took off. They went to see him. And, and so they didn't prepare themselves. And so he, Andrew's saying, verse 8, um, verse 9, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far would that go among so many? So you go, okay, the little boy has his lunch. Not very much food. Could you imagine going down to King Stadium? And let's say that they're, they're not filling, they don't have any food being sold there, and you're now responsible to feed all those people, and, uh, and someone says, I have a little bit of food, and you, you get the food, and you go, okay, I'm going to feed everybody at King Stadium, and here is a couple of hot dogs. Don't think it's going to work. And so, they had a problem. But I'd like to go back a little bit. When Jesus asked the question, where are we going to buy food? Do you know that Jesus is a teacher? And this disciples were a student. He's given them a quiz. He's given them a pop quiz. He's given them a question. Teachers ask questions. Now, Christ did not need the disciples to feed the, the masses. If he's able to create the whole universe out of nothing, he does not need us to do his work for him. He can do all the work himself. But he chooses to use us. And really, in some ways, it's an unfair question. It said that Christ knew what he was going to do anyway. He's asking a question. He already had the answer. Where are we going to buy food? And so since Jesus is the uh, teacher and the disciples are the students, uh, he gives them a quiz. In this message, we're going to have two pop quizzes coming up. And we're going to have a final exam. But going back to Philip and Andrew, they were focused on what they cannot do. They were focused on, you know, the fact that we, we, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. What are we going to do? Now, the right answer would have been when Christ said, where are we going to buy food? The answer should have been, Look, Lord, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough food. It would take a miracle to feed all these people. But, Lord, you're the creator of miracles. You can do it. That would have been an A-plus on the quiz. He would have got the answer right, but he didn't say that. And so often, and so often what Andrew and Peter were doing is the same thing we do. We look at the problem. We don't look to Jesus. They had walked with Jesus, 
They see, they've heard him teach. They see him do miracles. They know he can do miracles. And they're saying, it's not possible. And I've been, I said to the Lord when I was eight years old, I've been a Christian all my life. And so many times I, as a Christian here, I'm in my 60s now, I'll still look at myself and I'll still look at the problem. And I had to constantly remind myself to look to Jesus. Miracles often start with a mess. And ends up with a miracle. But we look at this story here. We see that Jesus is asking a question. Where shall we find food? Where are we going to buy food for these people? So we have a problem. We have a lack of food. And the question is answered in the question. The question is, where shall we buy bread for these people? Where shall we buy bread? Jesus is not asking Philip, Philip, you go off and you buy the bread. He's saying, where shall we buy bread? Here, here's the first quiz. I've got two questions. First quiz. How much does five loaves and two fish equal? Take a moment there. Get your calculator out. Figure it out. Here's the answer. I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the answer, and you can go ahead and write down if you got the answer right or not. Not enough. How much is five loaves and two fish equal? Not enough. How much does five loaves and two fish plus Jesus equal? Take a look at that question for a moment. Think about it. Here's the answer. Five loaves plus two fish plus Jesus equal more than enough. More than enough. Congratulations, you got through the first pop quiz. So, the first stage of a miracle is knowing that we are in a mess. The disciples were in a mess because they were being asked to provide food for twenty to 25,000 people, and they all he had was five loaves and two fishes. What are our problems? I've never had 20,000 people come to my house. My wife probably appreciates that. But um, we have other kinds of problems in life. Finances. How many of you have financial problems? How many of you have some kind of addiction? Addiction could be drugs, could be pornography, it could be uh, laying around doing nothing. Addiction. Sometimes we feel caught into our addictions. Uh, our career. We, our problems in our career is that I've been working at my job all these years, and COVID-19 comes along, and my company just shut down. I'm out of a job. It could be a marriage problem. It could be the fact that you're married and you're having a hard time with your spouse. Or it could be you're single, and you wish you had a spouse, and you're going off with somebody who's not right because you're, you're wanting somebody. It could be your kids, because... Kids sometimes can be a real challenge, and yours is causing a pro challenge for you. And so we have, we all have problems. We find our lives in a mess. And often we feel hopeless. But what we are missing when we look at the problem, the same thing the disciples were missing. When we turn the we problem with us and Jesus into a me problem, I'm going to fail the test. I have a problem. 
And I, I don't have the resources to pull myself out of the problem. But when I took my me problem into a we problem, I said, Lord, I, I am inadequate. I don't have the strength. I don't have the health. I don't have the money. I don't have the, the relationships. I don't have whatever it is. But I need you, Lord. And when we include the Lord, miracles happen. In John 15, 5, it said, we read, If I remain in you and you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So going to John 6, verse 10, we read, Jesus said, How did people sit down? There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there, and of course they had their families. Now, I don't know about you, if you have a crowd of twenty to 25,000 people, and you're told to have them all sit down, have you ever tried working with people before? The other, the other gospel said he had them sit down in groups of 50. Okay, everybody sit down in groups of 50. You're always going to say, well, we don't want to sit with them. And so right there, it must have been a challenge for the disciples to get them to sit down. But they did that. Christ told them to do it, and they did it. In verse 11, then Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. He gave thanks. Do you know how you get faith? People think faith is hard. Faith is really quite easy. If, if faith is hard, we think, do I have enough faith? No, I don't have enough faith. Someone says, will you pray for me because of whatever? And I'm going, oh, man. You know, when I was in seminary, I took a course called Ministering to the Dying and Bereaved. And we talked about the question about you go to visit someone in the hospital. They're dying. They have one or two days left to, per, to live. And someone says, hey, Pastor, will you pray for her healing, that she'll be healed? And she's like, oh, beetles everywhere, and the dripping, and the, the beeping going beep, 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 and look like, you know, she's not going to make it. And I'm supposed to pray for her healing. And I go, uh, Professor, how do you pray a situation like that? I thought of the very, very profound question. He gave me a very simple answer. He said, just pray. So easy. I was looking at myself. I was looking at the, uh, the scenario of the patient. The patient's probably going to die, and I don't have, I'm not God. I cannot heal. But God is great. Corey Ten Boom, who was in a Nazi German concentration camp during World War II, she and her sister were both in the same concentration camp. And her sister was in the hospital unit. And her sister said, Corey, I had a dream last night that at the end of the year we'll both be free. The sister died. And Corey was released due to a, a technicality, a mistake. They're both free. One was in heaven and one was sent out back out free to be a witness for the Lord for many years to come. We don't know how God's going to answer. But the sister that died was the one that had the dream that she was going to be free. So, how do you get faith? It's easy. You look to Jesus. Can God heal the person in the hospital room? Yes, he can. Will he? I don't know. 
But God's going to heal that person, whether that person's healed from being sick and their, their health restored, or if they're taken to the Lord, they're going to be healed. Another thing I learned when I was a chaplain, people said, boy, being a prison chaplain, working on all those inmates must be really hard. I said, actually, it's quite easy as a, as a minister in a prison. And the same thing applies in the street. See, it's so easy because I know I cannot do anything. Someone comes to me, they want to accept the Lord. You know, I have never, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I've never saved a single person my entire life. You go, that's terrible. He's a pastor, he went to seminary, he's never saved a person. No, I have never saved a person. Jesus saves. And so how do, my job is to point them to Jesus and let Jesus do the work. If someone is having marital problems, I cannot restore the marriage. I cannot make them love each other again. I can do everything I can, but they're not, their heart's not right. Their relationship's not going to be restored. But I can point them to Jesus, and Jesus can. Um, someone's really angry at somebody, and they just want to bop them, whatever the case is. And they're angry, and they're resentful, and they're hurt. I cannot restore. I cannot put love in a person's heart and take the hatred and anger away from them. I cannot do that, but Jesus can. So the answer is always Jesus. So, pop quiz number three. How much does you plus your problem equal? Take a moment there, pull out your calculator, figure it out. Answer, not enough. You go, isn't that the same as before? Yeah, it is. Same question, just worded different. Instead of how much loads of fish is, it's how much you and your problem equal. You and your problem is, are never enough. But how much does you and your problem plus Jesus equal? Get your calculators out, figure it up. Answer is more than enough. It could be more than enough. So your problem is causing you a lot of problems, but your problem with Jesus is problem solved. Your hurt are always going to bother you. But your hurts plus Jesus equals healing. Your addictions are always going to plague you. But your addictions plus Jesus equals freedom. Now, how do you overcome those addictions? God may just heal the addiction, take it from you. He may have you go through some program or something. He may have you go uh, work with some Christian brothers or sisters of the church. I don't know. God, Jesus will take care of that. But your addiction plus Jesus equals freedom. Your marriage can be a real problem. If you and your spouse do not have Jesus in your life, you're going to have problems. Because the marriage isn't two, the marriage is three, and Jesus has to be the center of the marriage. Your shortcomings plus Jesus is an overflow. Emptiness in your life plus Jesus makes fulfillment. If you are factoring Jesus into your formula, you're going to have the solution. I jumped ahead to the final exam. We're not going to go there yet. In verse 12, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. I jumped ahead here. When Christ blessed the food... 
Now, remember our same at Calipatria State Prison? We had a central kitchen that loaded all the carts of food, huge amounts of food, into the trucks, and we hauled them off to the different facility kitchens. I don't think, it doesn't really say how Christ divided the food. I really don't think that he took the five loaves and two fishes and started breaking up all, and had baskets and baskets and baskets of food all over the place. I think that what Christ did, he had five loaves and he had 12 disciples. Peter, come here. Here's half a loaf. And they were small loaves. Probably, I'm not sure if they're leavened or not. It's about the time of Passover. He had small loaves. He breaks in half and says, here, Peter, take this half a loaf and go feed the people. Just break off a piece, give it to somebody. Lord, you gotta be kidding. And here's some fish. Here's a little piece. Go spread it around. The food was multiplied as he dispersed it. I got two stories I'd like to share. My own life that had to do with dividing food, multiplying it. When I was a when I was in seminary, I was an intern at the Youth Authority in Chino. And that, cha- that prison chapel there was a large chapel. They, would ho- they have about 100 wards, ward inmates below, between the ages of 20, 18 and 24. They had about 100 in the morning, 100 in the evening. And they had a Bible study in the afternoon. Well, the chapel there had communion that day in the morning. And he set out the communion, communion elements for the evening service. Ahead of time, he put the bread and the juice out ahead of time. And then he went to the same, and they had the Bible study come in. Apparently, the Bible study decided to have communion themselves. And they put the cloth back over the tray. Well, I come in that evening. My wife, Chris, comes with me. She still remembers this. She saw the look on my face. We go up, and we're going to serve communion. We have 100 inmates in the chapel. The chaplain takes off the cloth with about five or six pieces of communion bread in there. About 100 inmates. What are we going to do? Just start praying and start breaking. I didn't see it multiply. I, I do not know how it happened. But we served everybody communion that evening. And we had bread left over. Now, this last year, some people from our church went down to Mexicali. And we, we did a kids' program in the morning. The, the night before, we had spaghetti. We had spaghetti left over for lunch. And we had the kids' program, and a lot of parents came, mostly women, and their children. They do the program. They left. Well, there's a couple of women and her, their children that stayed around. They were talking. And it was our lunchtime. And the food was ready. And I came out, and I saw this lady, these two ladies and their children. And I said, come and join us. And the pastor looks at me and says, we don't have enough food. I looked at him and said, don't take a single pond, dos pestas, five bowls and two fishes. He and his wife just grinned. They got the picture. And we invited them in. We didn't have a lot of food. We didn't have a lot of spaghetti. But everybody ate. We didn't see it multiplied, but everybody was full. And what I'm trying to say here is, Christ will give the, Christ will bless it but it still takes faith on our part to go ahead and do with it as God tells us to do. We will never will feel on our own that we have enough. But as we break 
the bread. As we give up ourselves, we don't have enough, but we give ourselves. Going back to Mexicali, my wife and I started working with Pastor Sanchez down there years ago. And he moved. I won't tell, go into the whole story. But we realized he lived in a community. He was building a home for himself and his wife and his family. And they had a lot of people meeting at his house, having church there, more than they were having the church in, the, in his church in Mexicali. He was in a, out, a little community outside. There was no church in that community. And we said, we need to build a church. But we didn't have the funds for the church. But over the years, there was enough funds that came in to buy the land and to build the church. And I was amazed where God constantly supplied. It came in continually from many different sources, many different sources I was very surprised about. God provided. So, verse 12, when they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather up the pieces that were left over, that nothing be wasted. Why were there 12 basketfuls left over? Well, he sent his 12 disciples out to collect it up. They each had a basket. They had 12 basketfuls left over. Now, were they sure of the people? No, the people had enough to eat. I'm sure some of them were sticking some bread and fish in their pockets or their knapsacks. You know, I, don't, I think they're taking some food home with them. But when God blesses us, he blesses us more than what we need for the moment. He blesses us to where we can look back on it. I'm still got a blessing for what happened the other day. I'm still praising God for what happened the other day. Twelve baskets for twelve disciples. They also gave him the chance to say, Hey, honey, today I was walking around with Jesus. You wouldn't believe what happened. By the way, I brought some home food for him for you. And so the people saw the sign Jesus performed. They began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Now, we've got elections coming up. I'm not going to advocate one candidate or the other for president. I'm not going to candidate one party or the other right now. But I know that often people vote for a candidate not because they like the candidate, but because they can't stand the other candidate. So we're, it's not popularity. It's, a, it's a, which, which is sometimes the least likely, wanted, you know, least desired. And apparently back then, they didn't like Herod. They didn't like Tiberius. They didn't like... Caesar, you know, or whoever. They didn't like, and they would, they were looking for a king. They saw in Jesus someone they thought would be an awesome king. He provides for our needs. He takes care of us. But Christ knows the answer is not through governmental rule. He did not want to become a king. Because government, we need government. Government's serve a very useful purpose. But government established by laws, enforced by laws. And so we in government will set established laws to control the population. But you cannot change the heart. Christ comes to change the heart. We have a food pantry here at ARCF. We give out food. We, people who are also poor can also get welfare, food stamps. Now, when people come and get food from the church, they're probably going to say, thank you. Because they know we give it by choice. They'll go and apply to the government welfare office because, hey, look, 
This is my income. I only make so much money. And I expect you to take care of me. And it's an obligation. We can, do, we can pass all the laws we want and not change the heart. Christ came to change the heart. And that's where the world, that's the change the world needs. So, final exam question number one. Is it up? Okay. In front of you. Here's the final exam. How much does our world plus COVID-19 equal? It's a big problem. Over 100,000 people in the United States, not to mention other places around the world. It's a huge problem. But you're saying, look, Charles, COVID-19 is kind of old news now. It's still a big problem. But it's the riots taking place in all the, the cities around the nation. And people are protesting. They're bringing down businesses. And they're attacking people who are innocent. So how much is our world plus riots equal? So it says, yeah, that's a problem. But I, don't, I hear about it on the news. But I'm doing okay. I, I'm, the COVID-19 is not affecting me. Riots are not personally affecting me right now. There's some other problems going on. There are always problems going on. So you fill in the blank. How much does our world plus your problem equal? Answer? Not enough. We got a big problem. We got a huge problem in this nation. We have a huge problem in this world. Without Jesus, it's a problem. Question number two. How much does our world plus COVID-19 plus Jesus equal? Oh, wait, 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 that's right. Riots, that's the issue. How much does our world plus the riots plus Jesus equal? Women, again, you know, riots don't affect me. They're affecting everybody else, but not me. But how much does our world plus my, our problems plus Jesus equal? You know the answer. More than enough. We've had problems down through the world, down through history. And American history has gone through times of revival and times of non-revival. And we're going through a real crisis right now in this country. We have problems. We have a hurting world. We have pandemic. We have riots. We have people hurting. The answer is not religion. I can say, Jesus is the answer. Okay, yeah, well, how's he going to feed me? The, the answer is not religion. Religion like government, it's just a lot of rules. You need to dress this way. You got to pray five times a day. You got to bow towards this direction. You got to have these beads. You got to pray these beads. You got a whole bunch of stuff. And I know because I work with religion and the prison system, I see a lot of religions, and religion is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. In John six twenty nine. This is jumping, same chapter, but jumping down. Whoever's preaching a couple weeks from now, I'm taking a little bit of his sermon from him. But the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Are we going to believe in Jesus? The answer to the world's problems is Jesus. You take the people who are angry, who are writing right now. They have a lot of legitimate complaints. They also have a lot of, of wrong attitudes. One of the cases is, the solution in their lives is finding Jesus. Because Jesus come in and take out the anger and replace it with love and forgiveness. The people with illnesses, 
Jesus is the solution. Whatever the problem is, and whatever your problem is, whatever my problem is, whatever our problem is, let the answer be us plus Jesus. Christ said, how are we? Let it be a we problem, not a me problem. God bless you. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and clothing. Heavenly Father, you're awesome. And we thank you, Lord, for your love. The fact that you created this world, but you didn't leave it to us by ourselves. You came here and you walked this earth to lead us, to have a relationship with us, to guide us. But Lord, help us not to look away from you and look at our problems as hopeless. But help us look to you and realize that you are the answer to our problems. We do pray, Lord, that you'll do your work in our lives individually, in our families, in our community, in our church. Lord, I also pray you'll do a work across the country and across this world, which is so desperately hurting. I pray that you'll be glorified. We don't know how you're going to do it, Lord, but you are God. We're going to turn over into your hands and say thank you and praise you in advance for the work you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Take care. God bless.